Well, hello there, friends and neighbors. This is Zeke, and I'm taking control of this here podcast once again. You know, Bob's a fine feller and all, but sometimes I think he can be just a bit wishy-washy, if you get my drift. And I had such a good time talking with you all in the last episode, I just had to do it again. So, let me welcome you to the third episode of the fourth season of Local Folks Podcast. As I'm doggone sure you're aware, this here election is just about over. And if the outcome's what I think it's going to be, big old blue wave like some monster out of Nazareth, Portugal, then the folks who inherit the government are likely going to change some things. And I have a few things I'd like to see happen. And first and foremost, I'd like to see big increases in the minimum wage, along with a lot higher taxes on wealthy folks and corporations. Now, I know that the words increase the minimum wage and higher taxes curl some folks' toenails. And I have heard so many versions of, I made that money because of my smarts, hard work, and plain old gumption. Nobody has a right to increase my taxes or tell me how much to pay my employees. That I get a mite irritated when I hear it. Seems to me that's just talking a whole lot of foo for all. And just why do I say that? Well, let me explain. Now, I have no doubt that most successful folks work very hard, have a lot of gumption, take enormous risks, and are probably as smart as the next person. But the idea that they made it all themselves and totally on their own is just plain old nonsense. First of all, let's say one of these rich folks who's complaining about the government stealing their money has a business and employs a lot of people. You think their business would be successful without the hard, conscientious work of their employees? Well, my friend, if I was you, I wouldn't bet money on it. You know, I remember years ago, I was part of a four-mechanic crew on a natural gas pipeline. And at one point, big stationary engine. It was an old Ingersoll Rand V12 compressor about the size of a small house. Caught fire, and we had to rebuild it from the ground up. It was in the winter, and the gas demand was high, and the company was all in a sweat about getting it up and running ASAP. We just worked our tails off in dangerous conditions and temperatures well below zero, stopping for meals and rest breaks for six whole days. When it was all put back together, we fired that rascal up. I remember standing with the rest of the crew, skilled mechanics all. As the oil pressure, manifold pressure, and gas pressure all come up to spec, and the engine was purring away like a brand new sewing machine. We all looked at each other and were very proud of our work. Seems to me, without us, that company would have gone out of business in no time. Just about every place I worked, almost all the folks I worked alongside, uh, with a few glaring exceptions, have been honorable, skilled, conscientious employees who deserve to make a living wage for the work they do. Then there's taxes. You want to hear all kinds of wailing and teeth gnashing? Just suggest to some successful tycoon that they should be paying more taxes. Just like with paying higher wages, you get to listen to some version of, I made this all by myself, and no one has a right to take any part of what I've made away from me. Well, my response to that is, you got to be kidding me. You don't use highways to move your goods? You don't use the courts when you need redress, like when someone doesn't honor a contract? Kind of reminds me of our president, if you ask me. That's another story. 
You don't rely on construction codes to ensure that your new factory doesn't fall in around your ears in the next windstorm. You don't rely on public education systems to supply you with an endless stream of highly educated, qualified workers. You don't rely on a banking system that's regulated to make sure your deposits don't just vanish. You know, I remember something a Ukrainian woman told me years ago. She lived in Uzhrov, a city in western Ukraine, just after Ukraine declared independence. She opened a savings account, a newly formed commercial bank, and deposited her life savings. A couple months later, she went to the bank to withdraw some money. She wanted to use it to start a small business and found out to her dismay that her account was empty. When she asked to tell her why, he just shrugged his shoulders and said something like, I don't know, it's just gone. And that, my friends, was that. Turns out the banking system was pretty much unregulated, kind of a free-for-all. And the court system was totally corrupt, so she had no recourse whatsoever. Here in the good old USA, there are a whole passel of government agencies, like the Federal Reserve and the Securities and Exchange Commission, that regulate the banking system. While there is even a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to make sure financial services available to all of us are on the up and up. So just how do we pay to keep all these necessary services and protections alive and well? Taxes. So when some hard-charging tycoon says, I made this on my own, I say, oh, no, you didn't. You had a lot of help along the way, even if you refuse to acknowledge it. And you are going to pay for those services whether you like it or not. You know, I'm reminded of something I heard a CEO of a technology company say a number of years ago. He said, at some point, money's just a way of keeping score on how well I do my job. Well, now. I think after making your first hundred million dollars or so, more money wouldn't be absolutely necessary to keep body and soul together in high style. And maybe we could figure out some other way for you to flaunt your success. In fact, I have just the thing. When I was a little sprout, I spent a few months in the Boy Scouts. Turns out it wasn't for me. <laughs> I washed out before I made tenderfoot. But I never forgot them sashes full of merit badges successful scouts wore to impress their colleagues. Hmm. How about we give merit badges for the amount of taxes someone pays? The more taxes, the more elaborate the badge is. And then every year, we could have the parade of them CEOs, and they'd all don their sashes resplendent with tax badges and parade around on stage to show off their success, or lack thereof to all the world. <laughs> I can see it all now. Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and all the rest strutting their stuff in their sashes. What a show. Another thing I want to see increased is government support for basic scientific research. You know, in the last episode, I talked a bit about how the pickiness of scientists helped the process of science get as close to the truth about things as possible. I also think a plain old sense of wonder drives the search for the truth as well. Most of the scientists I know dig into all kinds of interesting questions out of a sense of wonder. They're just so blamed interested in what they're studying, they can't stop. You know, an old friend of mine is a perfect example of this. 
For the past 30 or so years, he's been studying the insects and spiders that live on a species of lupin, that's a flower and pea family, that grows throughout the Great Basin of the United States. Every year in the late spring, he journeys over to the east side of Steens Mountain in eastern Oregon, hikes up a steep canyon, and takes data on them critters at six study sites at different elevations in the canyon. You know, I helped him a few times, and believe me, hiking up that canyon ain't no picnic. It's steep, rough terrain, and the weather on the mountain is unpredictable as all get out. Kind of makes me tired just thinking about it. When I tell folks about this project, most often they react with some version of, why in tarnation would somebody want to study the insects and spiders that live on a plant? My answer is, because he's fascinated. He just can't not do it. Oftentimes, the next thing folks say is, well, what good is that? I don't see how anyone benefits from this. Well, let's dig in just a bit deeper to what my friend is finding out. Keeping in mind, he started this project because, well, just because he wanted to know. But after analyzing 30 years of data, and uh, my friends, that's a mighty big set of data, some patterns have jumped out that are very important for maintaining the health of the land. As some of you probably know, there's a whole parcel of public land in America that's managed by agencies like the Bureau of Land Management and the United States Forest Service. And every day, them managers have to make decisions on all kinds of things like grazing or logging that impact the land. And they often use data for measurements taken at specific locations to guide their decisions. Now, budgets being what they are, managers are limited in how many locations they can measure. And in a canyon like the one my friend studies, they might have just one sample site for the whole shebang. The assumption being that there ain't all that much different twixt one site and another. Turns out that my friend's study kind of pokes a hole in that assumption. Looks like there are considerable differences in the nature of the insect and spider community between the six different sample sites in the canyon. And those differences have been stable for over 30 years he's been hiking up there. Kind of looks like if we really want to know what's going on in the habitat we're interested in, we have to take into account that things may be much more diverse and require a lot more monitoring sites than we do at present. Pure science, and by that I mean experiments and studies are done just because someone has a sense of wonder and is interested in something in and of itself, can often have unanticipated benefits for all of us. Shoot, I figure just about all the breakthroughs in technology, medicine, agriculture, etc. in the last couple hundred years are the result of scientists just being interested in something and wanting to know what's what, regardless if it has a practical application. You might be wondering why I started jawing away about science after beginning this here episode talking about raising taxes. Well, my reason is just this. As far as this pilgrim is concerned, our country ain't funding pure, unapplied research nearly enough. We need more scientists asking deep questions about all manner of things like the Earth, biosphere, genetics, the nature of life, the cosmos, the ultimate nature of matter and energy, etc. To help us understand who we really are, our place in the universe, and how to better care for each other in this beautiful planet we live on. For example, I bet there are folks listening to me yammer on about science who've had their DNA tested by a company like 23andMe 
and have been amazed at what they have learned about their ancestors and themselves. Now, none of this would be possible if it wasn't for the research of scientists who just wanted to know how DNA works. You know, them folks were interested in the fundamental nature of our genes, mainly because they had a sense of wonder. And from satisfying that sense of wonder, all kinds of useful technologies have been created. And then there's healthcare. A couple of years ago, I had a conversation with an ICU nurse I will never forget. One night, while driving home after working a very long shift at a hospital in a small Oregon town, she hit a deer on the highway and her car rolled down a steep embankment several times. She sustained a severe head injury and instantly became disabled. Now, she had health insurance through her work, but wasn't nearly enough to cover all the costs of her treatment and rehab. A combination of enormous medical bills and her loss of income, she could no longer work because of her disability, caused her to lose her home, her retirement savings, and fall into poverty. All because a deer stepped in front of her car. About 45 years ago, I had a very different experience. When my son was born, his mother and I lived in northern British Columbia, Canada, where I was working on that pipeline I mentioned earlier. Because of some complications during the delivery, she spent a couple of weeks in the hospital, including four days in the ICU. And how much did all that medical care cost us? Well, if my memory is correct, and given my age, that might be just a kind of a dicey proposition. I figure we spent somewhere around $10 Canadian for the registration fee, and that was it. Because we qualified for BC Med, the provincial health care plan, all of our medical costs was paid for by the government. The quality of the care was as good or better than anything we've had here in the good old USA, and it was available to anyone who had residency in the province, even a homeless person living under a bridge, regardless of their income level. So how about we compare the two systems? On one hand, here in America, hard-working professional became almost destitute because of a freak accident. While in British Columbia, the young family suffered no financial loss at all because of a serious complication during the delivery of their first child. And just what explains this difference? Taxes, that's what. Canada has higher taxes in America and uses some of the income from those taxes to provide health care to all of its people. And finally, there's one more thing I'd like to see change after this election. I sure do wish the next administration would get down to business and help blue-collar working people who are really having a hard time. You know, my daddy never went to college and worked with his hands all his life. For years, he worked night shift, leaving home about six in the evening and getting home first light the next morning. He was a hard-working, generous man. And because he earned a decent wage, he was able to provide for his family, buy a house, help my brother and I go to college, and put enough by so that he and my mother had a comfortable, dignified retirement. But that was before globalization and automation, along with wage stagnation, pretty much made it impossible for working folks to achieve something similar today. I remember reading 
that during the last recession, manufacturing jobs, good family wage jobs, vanished like snow on a July lawn and have never recovered. Some of the jobs went overseas, but a lot more were lost to automation. You know, there's a sawmill close to where I live. And 20 years ago, it was running three shifts a day and employed about 25 people on each shift. Now, that mill's still running three shifts a day, but instead of 25 people a shift, there's eight. Robots and other types of automation have made the other 17 workers per shift obsolete, and they are no longer there. And they likely have had to take jobs, if they can find any, in the service sector with much lower wages. In one fell swoop, those folks' lives have become a lot more difficult through no fault of their own. And I have to say that the response of most of the college-educated professionals I know to the plight of these folks has been indifferent at best. I remember a conversation I had with a feller who's an electrical engineer. I was describing a young family that had suffered a major job loss due to automation. The dad had a good job as a metal caster for a metallurgical company, but lost his job when he was replaced by a computer-controlled machine. After I told this well-paid engineer about what had happened, he said something like, Well, he'll just have to go back to school and retrain. Huh. To quote Yosemite Sam, one of my favorite characters of all time, Great horny toes, what an idiot! Just how is that guy supposed to go back to school? School costs money. And for him and his family, money was suddenly in very short supply. Not only that, but his wife had to go back to work as a cook in a restaurant. And he needed to stay home with their two young children. And from what I gather, school was not a pleasant experience for him. And you know, I think he's not alone. I'm pretty sure there's a whole passel of young'uns that ain't well served by public schools. That airs a topic for another program, I suspect. Now, I imagine that electrical engineer is probably pretty good at school. And if someone told him he'd have to go back and retrain, well, it'd be an inconvenience. But I'm confident that he would be successful. And because he's paid a very tidy sum for working for a high-tech company, he likely has a nice nest egg put by that would help him keep body and soul together while he learns a new skill. You know, I think we need another new deal when the federal government steps in and helps folks like that feller who lost his job to automation get back on their feet. As Franklin Roosevelt said, the test of our progress is not whether we add more to the abundance of those who have much, it's whether we provide enough for those who have too little. I figure it's high time we put those words into action. Well, thanks for listening to my pontificating. And old Bob says I should invite you to come back for episode four that's coming up the first of next month. And one final thing. Here in Oregon, we vote by mail and I sent my ballot in a week ago. If you live in a state where you have to vote in person, please vote, and you'll be glad you did. Adios, friends. Talk to you soon. KBOO Portland.